0: Uh, Either one or two things is happening here. Either a lot of people are listening to this show and enjoying it and sharing it with friends. Or a lot of people are saying, this is the dumbest show in the world. you got to listen to it. Either way, I don't care. Thanks for listening. The downloads, once again, through the roof. Through the roof, the downloads on the last show. Got a lot of nice comments. A lot of bad comments I'll talk about. Joe Biden, you got to get it together. Your approval rating is falling like a man kicked down a flight of stairs. You got to get a hold of Michelle Obama. Go on the Ellen DeGeneres show, something. Let's start the show. So as I say, a lot of comments from the last show, very popular show from both ends. Some people agreeing with and liking what I said about the difference between hardworking people and people who just happen to be in hard jobs, but may not necessarily be hardworking people. And I don't know why anyone would have a problem with that because we've all worked with people like that or we have encountered people like that in our daily lives. If you go to a restaurant or you go to a retail store, those are hard jobs. It's hard to be a waiter or a waitress, I'm sure, but sometimes you get that waiter or waitress that you say, boy, this person isn't worth a dime. So we've all worked alongside or known people who are in hard jobs but aren't necessarily hardworking. So I don't know why you'd have a problem with me pointing out that those people exist, but to each his own. Some people get upset with me because it's just that conditioning. We're still conditioned that if you say you don't necessarily agree with the idea of raising taxes on corporations, well, that means that you're a Republican or that means that you must be one of those greedy people who's selfish and lacks compassion to help others. And people don't like that. They lash out. Here's a comment from a guy who says He doesn't believe I clean toilets for a living because I'm too stupid to clean toilets. Now, out of context, that sounds negative. I think he was trying to be negative. But in any case, you don't have to lash out. All you have to do is listen to what I was saying. I wasn't saying, I don't believe corporations should pay taxes. I don't believe the wealthy should pay taxes. It's how do we do it to make sure those tax increases don't ricochet back and hurt the middle class. Or hurt working people more than they hurt the corporations? How do we do it in a way that ensures the taxes are invested in a smart way where there's some sort of return on the investment and it's not just more wasteful spending? That's what I was saying. I don't know how, once again, how anyone could have a problem or disagree with that. I think most people don't have a problem or disagree with that. And that's what makes you like the show and be in a comparison group, which by the way, Let me take a moment here, because I'm assuming I'm getting new listeners on in the last couple of shows as people share the show with friends and family. I should let you know the comparison group is all about being in the middle. If you're doing an experiment, you need a control group in the middle, a group that's not affected by nonsense. In the case of this experiment, an experiment to determine who's crazy on the left and who's crazy on the right. In order to determine that, you have to have a group in the middle that you can look at and compare those other two groups too. That's the comparison group. I want to be in the middle. I don't want to be affected by Facebook, by the media, by the crazy person yelling at the truck stop, or the crazy woman yelling in a diner. I don't want to be affected by stupid things. And so I look at things in a common sense way, in a logical way, apply a little critical thinking, and always keep a sense of humor. And I suspected that there were a lot of people out there who looked at things in a similar way, who thought the same way I did. And my suspicions are being confirmed from doing this show. I appear to be getting more and more people liking it and continuing to listen. That's the comparison group. Sometimes I may say some things that may sound a little offensive. I may use the term black, but that's not because I'm trying to offend anyone. I've stated before, I use the terms black, white, and other to describe everyone. Black, white, and other. Because that's all I have the energy for. I don't have the energy to figure out what the politically correct term is to use this week. It changes so much. Black, white, and other. That's what I say. Sorry. That's all I can do for you. I, I can't do anymore. You know what you are. You know what race you are. You know what nationality you are. Why do I have to know what you are and identify you? Back to comments from the last show. It occurs to me that we have to look at it this way. When it comes to this $3.5 trillion spending bill and social programs and the social safety net. I don't have a problem, and most people don't have a problem, with there being social programs and a social safety net. The universal pre-K, the paid family sick leave, even the two years of free community college done in the proper way, a lot of people would go along with that and polls show. A lot of people approve of these programs. The problem is, when you have a net, it catches everyone. catches everyone. And unfortunately, Some people will use that net whether they need it or not. And it sounds strange because, again, we're conditioned. We're conditioned to assume everyone who works in a hard job or everyone who's struggling needs and deserves that social safety net. Here's what we see going on right now. I read an article that even though the enhanced unemployment benefits have ended, people are in no rush to get back to work. And of course they're not if they don't have to. If they can survive another month, another two months without having to go back to that job that they didn't like in the first place, I've explained that. I understand that these jobs are not necessarily jobs that people are anxious to get back to. They're not great jobs. They're hard jobs. They don't pay a ton of money. They're no fun. So they're not anxious to get back to them. But we should ask ourselves, if it were not for the... Additional child care tax credit that started back in July and goes to the end of the year, would these people have to go back to work? If they didn't have that additional income from that tax credit, would they have to go back to work? If they were being forced to pay their rent without the threat of eviction, would they be forced to go back to work? So, which would we rather have? Would we rather have these people going back to work? Or would we rather have them taking advantage of these social programs, which is right, which is wrong it's very simple let's look at it this way. If the government offers me a childcare tax credit and I have three kids, so I get roughly eight hundred dollars a month from the federal government, and I take that money and I use it to provide daycare for my kids so I can go to work and I go to work that's one thing if the government Offers me $800 a month in child care and a tax credit, and I take it, and I send my kids off to daycare, and I sit home and watch the prices right and drink a, a box of wine. That's a different story. That's a different story. Do you see the difference? Do you see the distinction? Do you see how people might have a problem with one while not having a problem with the other? Do you see how it's a problem when politicians like Alexandria, I only part my hair in the middle, even though I'm extreme left. Ocasio-Cortez only points out the need of one person, not the exploitation of the system by the other person. Take advantage of the social programs if you need them. But if you're taking advantage of the social programs instead of work, not necessarily because you need them, but instead of work, isn't that a problem? That's the question I'm asking. And I think it's a fair question. There were other comments from the last show in regards to just a little bit I said about COVID, but I'll send that, excuse me, I'll save that for the end of the show, the end of the show, because I said, I'm not going to talk about COVID a lot. I'm not going to talk about the vaccine a lot anymore in a way that appears to be trying to change people's minds. So I'll talk about it at the end of the show. And that way, anyone who's offended by my COVID discussion, anyone who doesn't want to hear My COVID discussion can just stop the show at that point, listen up to that point, and then if you don't want to hear it, you can turn it off. But I have a couple of important things to say in reference to uh, some comments that were directed at me from the last show. I think they'll be good for people to hear because I think there are things that are being said, some misinformation that's being put out there right now that people may not even be aware of or may not have an answer to, so... I'll save that for the end of the show. Here are the couple things I want to talk about for this show the Haitian migrants and the reaction to the Border Patrol agents and the missing young lady, Miss Patino. Those are the two things I want to discuss on this show. And if you listen to this show, prepare yourself for a discussion that's not like the discussions you hear in the media. Let's start with the Haitian migrants. Let's all just agree. It doesn't look good for people on horseback of any race, whether they be black, white, or other, chasing down black people. It doesn't look good. I don't know if you're aware, but we have a bit of a history in this country with black people being chased down on horseback. So I think we can all agree. I don't think there's anyone out there in their right mind who would say that that didn't look bad. Everyone would agree with that, so there's no need for me to spend a whole lot of time. Wait, what's that? Oh, really?
1: The media are getting slammed for pushing a narrative that border patrol agents on horseback were using, quote, whips on Haitian migrants crossing the southern border, but that was before they got all of their facts. Several headlines stated agents were holding whips and rounding up and chasing down migrants, Turns out DHS and the Border Patrol say they did not have whips. But of course, it wasn't just headlines that claimed agents were, in fact, using whips.
0: That was former White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany on Fox News. And it's just funny because Fox News is never more in their glory when they get to attack CNN, MSNBC for screwing something up. Because to be fair, they did run with the idea that Border Patrol agents were using whips. It's a little different when it's a whip and when it's the riding reins, whatever you want to call the things that you hold the horses with. It's a little different, but at the same time, to kind of downplay the optics of how it looked with agents on horseback rounding up black folks, it's a little Fox Newsish, if you know what I mean. But okay, once again, I'm not going to belabor the point. It looks bad, but why were they there? I have my suspicions that the Border Patrol agents were there because someone from the Biden administration told them to be there. Someone from the Biden administration saw the footage from the previous days of Haitian migrants crossing with no opposition in that area and said, hey, get someone out there, get some people out there and stop them. It looks like we have no control over the border. The optics don't look good. And so they sent the Border Patrol agents out there on horseback, I guess the best way to be there, to stop those Haitians from crossing. So, sure, we could say the Border Patrol, some of the Border Patrol agents overreacted in their duties to stop the Haitians, but they were sent there, I think, by the administration. Now, as far as the Haitian migrants, we must understand they had just walked through 13 countries. To get to where they were, they weren't exactly going to be deterred by a few Border Patrol agents on horseback. They were not looking to be turned away at that point. And so you get the video that you get. Here's my problem. Here's my concern. We have thousands of Haitian migrants camping out, trying to get into the country, walking across a river, walking across 13 countries, climbing mountains to get to America. And on the left, I hear people. Pretty universally, well, I shouldn't say that, because Biden, most Democrats, I do believe, have been pretty clear, we have to send them back. They have to go back. Kamala Harris, don't come here. We're going to send you back. But a lot of left-leaning media, particularly one show that I always point out and I enjoy and I respect the host, Joe Madison, I hear him on a show saying we can absorb 12,000 Haitian migrants, as if America is a sponge. That's the term he used over and over again on his show. We can absorb 12,000 Haitian migrants. Well, it strikes me that a man as intelligent as Joe uh, Madison, a guy I respect, doesn't recognize we don't have 12,000 migrants who want to come to America. We have a million Haitian migrants that want to come to America. So how do we deter These people from coming here, if we accept 12,000, and next year it's 24,000, and a year after that it's 48,000. What's the deterrence? Can we absorb a million Haitian migrants? Doesn't that provide an incentive for other people from countries that are struggling, from South American countries, to also come to America? I listened to the Joe Madison show. I heard him talk about this at length, and I waited for someone to call in and point out. But isn't it an incentive? Doesn't this incentivize people to come here? And why is it that people like Joe Madison, like Joe Biden, like Kamala Harris, and apparently a lot of other left leaning people don't recognize why people are coming here? If they recognized why people are coming here, they would recognize telling them not to come here is not going to work. They're coming here because they feel like. They have absolutely no other choice. Now you say, oh, well, come on. Everyone knows that. Everyone, re- No, they're coming here because they feel like they have no other choice. It's come here or die. So if you tell someone, don't come here, we're going to send you back, you're not recognizing. They're saying, oh, I'm coming. Send me back if you want. Send me back if you catch me but I'm coming. So not only does this administration not seem to recognize that they're incentivizing, in some ways, people to come here with their desire to look compassionate and not look like Trump, and I do believe it was me on this show who said shortly after Joe Biden got elected, he was going to have an issue with immigration. Now, I'm sure a lot of people realize that, but I said he's going to have a... Issue with immigration because the Democrats spent so much time beating up on Trump for being overly tough on immigration, using terms like locking kids in cages. So, you know what the Biden administration did? They came in, took down the chain link fence, and put up plexiglass boxes so it wouldn't look like they were locking kids in cages. But they understood we still have to lock up these kids and these people coming to the border. And so Biden has a problem, and I knew he was going to have a problem because of perception. He didn't want to seem overly tough, but at the same time, he recognizes he can't incentivize people to come here. But the other thing that I had talked about, and if I could find it, I would play it, but I can't find it on my old show. I got to have a better job of transcribing my shows. But in any case, I said, you can't just solve the problem once again by dumping money into these countries. You could build the infrastructure up of these countries and then an earthquake or a hurricane comes and knocks it right down. And that's what's going on in the case of these Haitian migrants. There's been $13 billion in foreign aid given to Haiti since the 2010 earthquake. $13 billion given to Haiti since 2010. Not a ton of money, not a ton of money in foreign aid. But what happens to it? It gets all swept away by the next earthquake or the next hurricane. And so it was a waste of money because here we have the migrants fleeing their country after their leader was assassinated, after they have another earthquake, after they have another hurricane trying to get into America. So, th- once again, throwing money at the situation doesn't solve it. But we have the people on the left who say, Come one, come all. Bring us your tired, your huddled masses. This is the argument that people on the left want to have. We're a country of immigrants. We're built on immigration. But where does it end? Where is our limitation? When do we stop being capable of taking in anyone and everyone from countries that are struggling, countries that are poor, countries that are experiencing famine, countries that are experiencing drug wars? What are our limitations? How do we not incentivize the people to come here? That's the discussion I want to have, not the discussion about Border Patrol on horseback rounding up black people. Because like I say, we all agree, even Fox News, if I had played the clip all the way through, one of the hosts said, this looks really bad. So if even Fox News gets it, that it looks really bad, let's not have that discussion. Let's have the discussion on what we do about the fact that our Congress Our administrations, both Republican and Democrat, have no ability to solve this problem, no ability to think in a proactive way to solve this problem, no ability to get out in front of the problem until it lands on our doorstep. They have no solutions. Why do I have to do it? All right, fine. You want solutions? I'll give you solutions. I don't know why I got to do this, but fine, I'll do it. Here's what you do. You got people coming here from all over, from South America, Central America, coming from Haiti. You have to build tent cities to direct these people to, all right? They're going to come, and they're going to go wherever the crowd goes. They're going to follow the crowd. You have to direct them where you want them to go. Build tent cities. I see you got the porta-potties out there. I know they didn't bring those porta-potties with them, but you get them there after they arrive. No, get them there before they arrive, okay? Now, if you direct the people where you want them to go, if there's water, if there's a porta potty, if there's a tent, that's where they'll go. You won't have to have your Border Patrol agents spread all along the border on horseback. 90% of the people will go to those tent cities. Once they get there, put them on a plane and get them out. Get them out. You just heard Biden brag about the greatest evacuation in the history of evacuations in Afghanistan. The Democrats bragged, oh, look at the amazing job we did of evacuating tens and thousands of people. So why can't you evacuate these Haitian migrants? It's not tens of thousands. Apparently it's 12,000. Put them on planes, get them out immediately. Because when people back in Haiti see their friends, their cousins, their brothers, their sisters coming back right after they left, it's a deterrent for them to try and come here, but you have to guide them where you want them to go. You have to assist them in where you want them to go. They'll go there, even though they know there's a good chance they're going to get put on a plane and sent right back. They'll go there because there's food there, there's shelter there, there's water there, there's a porta potty there. And if you've been walking for months without any of those things, you'll go there to get it even though you know there's a good chance you're going to get put on a plane and sent back. It will allow you to process people easier. It will allow you to process people quicker. And sure, there are going to be those people who won't go to those designated tent cities and will try and sneak into America. And that's why we do have the Border Patrol, but it will be less people. Now, here's the capper. When you put these people on these airplanes and you send them back, to the country that they came from. You don't send them back empty-handed. You give them a little cash. You give them a little cash to support themselves, to feed themselves, to make it a little bit easier when they get back home. We're doing it anyway. The problem is, we're sending the money to the Haitian government where they're executing their president and they're corrupt and the money's not making it to the people. So give it to the people. Give a little cash, a couple hundred dollars. I don't know, that's probably a $100,000 in Haiti. And they can live a little bit. It'll put a little cash, a little money into the economy. And maybe over time, as we do this, as we get the people into the tent cities, we get a little cash in their pockets, we send them back. Maybe over time, Haiti will start to come back. It'll start to rebuild and there won't be a need for the people to come here. Giving the money to the government and telling them to distribute it into the economy, build, rebuild Haiti. It's not doing any good. It's not doing. It. You can't stop hurricanes. You can't stop earthquakes. But at least if you can put some money into the pockets of the Haitian people and allow them to live in their own country, not feeling their next day is going to be their last, maybe they'll stay in their own country. I think they'd prefer to stay in their own country than to march across 13 countries to get to America to get turned right back around. We're giving the money anyway, people. We're giving the money anyway, and it's being wasted. Let's try it this way. You want solutions? I'll give you solutions. Now, remember, you got some other people, they're going to try and sneak in. These most likely are the people who have heard from their cousin, from their brother, from the uncle, someone who's already in America. Get to America, sneak in, I'll make sure you get a job. Just get to America, however you can, sneak into the country. I have a job waiting here for you. I have a place to live waiting here for you. So again, let's let it be known to these people, hey, listen, go to the tent city. We will process you. If you have a contact of someone here in America, who will give you a job, who will give you a place to live, you do have a chance of getting into the country. You do have a chance of asylum. So we don't have to turn away 100% of the people. We may have to turn away 90% of the people, but let's process them, but let's direct them to where we want them to be processed. If we don't direct them to where we want them to be processed, they're gonna be stretched out all along the border, they're going to set up their own little tent cities wherever they, wherever they determine it's safe to go, and we'll have no control over the situation as we do right now. I'm giving this advice to Biden for free, for free. I'm not even charging him for this. There's no charge for listening to this show. Can you imagine that? No charge. Now, he can either choose to take my advice, or he can continue stumbling around looking stupid. We get reports of migrant caravans on their way here all the time. So why can't the administration be proactive? Why can't they get out in front of the situation when the caravans are 100 miles away from the border, working with other countries to meet the people when they're all bunched up, when they're all together, and guide them in, guide them that last 100 miles? They're coming here. There's no stopping them. They're coming here to the border. So guide them in that last 100 miles. Yeah, sure. A little bit of a carrot and stick sort of thing going on. Make it easier. Make that last 100 miles of the journey easier. Some food, some water. Get them where you want to go before they all break apart and they're all up and down the border. Got them into the tent cities. Give them a little aid, a little comfort. And then get them out. Get them out like Trump. Get them out. But it's at least a little more compassionate. Again, we're doing it now. We're doing it now. They get here and Joe Biden says, we're putting them on planes and we're getting them out. So I'm not being any less compassionate than Biden's doing. I'm being more compassionate by saying, let's meet up with them 100 miles out. Let's provide first aid to those who need it. Let's provide water. Let's provide food. And then let's get them to where we want them to go. And then let's send them back. I don't see any other way. We can't take these people in. I keep hearing the left talking about the need to spend $3.5 trillion because we have struggling Americans in this country now. We need to spend $3.5 trillion because we have struggling Americans and we want to bring in more struggling people. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You keep telling me how people are struggling. Bernie Sanders keeps telling me people are starving. Starving. And we want to bring in more struggling, starving people. It doesn't make sense. It's not about compassion. It's about reality. It's about reality. Ah, what's the use? What time is it? Oh, I can't start drinking yet. All right, let me move on then. That's a joke, by the way. I don't want potential sponsors thinking I drink a lot. I I actually, I, I don't. Not really. I don't. I don't I don't drink a lot. The Gabby Petino situation. Let's discuss this by starting off with the clip of Joy Ann Reed, host of The Readout, I believe is the name of her show on MSNBC. Joy Ann Reed. Let's uh, listen to her clip.
1: If you've been watching the news for the past few days or on Twitter or TikTok, you're probably familiar with the name Gabby Petito the 22-year-old aspiring social media influencer who was reported missing after her fiancé returned from their van life excursion without her. On Sunday, human remains believed to be Petitos were found in a national park in Wyoming. An autopsy is scheduled for tomorrow to confirm the identity. Now, it goes without saying that no family should ever have to endure that kind of pain, and the Petito family certainly deserve answers and justice. But the way this story has captivated the nation has many wondering Why not the same media attention when people of color go missing? Well, the answer actually has a name, Missing White Woman Syndrome, the term coined by the late and great Gwen Ifill to describe the media and public fascination with missing white women like Lacey Peterson or Natalie Holloway, while ignoring cases involving missing people of color.
0: So I play that clip, and I'm talking about this story for a couple of reasons. Number one, the story Of this young woman who went missing, this Gabby Patino had no race whatsoever in the story. No race. Young white woman, young black man, or excuse me, young white man, there was no race in the story. I don't know why Joanne Reed felt the need to put race into the story. I think it was also in poor taste for her to choose to do it before this woman had even been identified. If you listen to the clip, you heard her say... Remains have been found, but she's not been identified. So the family is still holding out hope. The family is still wishing for a miracle that maybe their daughter will be found alive. And Joanne Reed decides to take the opportunity to bring race into the discussion. In addition, Joanne Reed Joy Ann Reed appeared to be pointing out that there's bias in the media. Whoa. Wait a second here, Joanne Reed. Are you telling me, am I to understand that the media is biased? That MSNBC can be biased? That Fox News can be biased? Where are you getting this information from? Of course the media is biased, Joanne Reed. You work in the biased media. You do a show every night. That's biased. You're telling me that you're shocked? That there's racial bias in the media? You're telling me you felt that the story of this poor young girl probably being murdered was an opportunity you needed to take to point out that there's racial bias in the media? This is exactly the problem with the media, but it's also the problem with us. It's the problem with this country right now. I have no idea what happened to that young girl. None, no clue. If people are asking themselves, why is this being covered so much? Why is this being covered? Why is the media talking about this 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 woman? Why this particular woman? It's because of us. Because of us, because of the viewer. Because it's what we're drawn to. For the time being, for the moment, it's what we're drawn to. Two attractive people, the young girl and her boyfriend. I can say it, looks like a attractive guy. Got that bad boy look that women would be attractive to. And she's an attractive young girl. And there's all sorts of video and photos of them that tug at your heartstrings. And so the media, they have video. They can play on the loop of the two of them, smiling, in love, enjoying one another. And then they have the mystery. What happened? The mystery. Where is he? The mystery. Is his family involved? They have all the elements that draw us in. And you're asking why the media is covering it because of us, because of the media consumers. Even though, as I said, we should have no opinion of what happened here because we have no information. But guess what? Everyone does. Everyone has an opinion. Oh, I know what happened. I can tell you what happened. He killed her. Oh, he killed her. Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think maybe there was some sort of accident. Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think maybe she ran off. Everyone has an opinion with no information, because that's how we are. It would be like if I asked you, hey, do you think Donald Trump and Melania Trump sleep in the same bed? People will give you an answer. People will answer that question without hesitation. Now, the answer is, how in the fudge should I know what their sleeping arrangements are? I don't know those people. That should be the answer but it never is. People will try and answer that question. Oh, there's no way they sleep in the same bed. You're kidding me. They're not even together anymore. Let me tell you how screwed up we are when it comes to the media. What was the top story in the news exactly three months from today? I'm doing this show on September 24th. What was the top story in the news on your TV almost 24 hours a day Seven days a week for a good two weeks. What was the top story? Don't look it up. Don't cheat. What was it? I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm really giving an opportunity here to let you think about it. You saw it every day for close to two weeks. The top story. No, it wasn't free, Brittany. Didn't have anything to do with COVID, didn't have anything to do with the vaccine. It was the building collapse in Florida. The building collapse in Florida. It happened three months ago today. And most of us have forgotten about it. Where in Florida was it? How many people died? Can you get to within 50 in the number of people that died in that building collapse? Don't feel bad. I couldn't. If I was doing, wasn't was doing this show, I wouldn't remember If I wasn't doing this show, I'm not so sure I could tell you how many people died if I didn't look it up. But could you guess within 50 people, how many people died in that building collapse? And yet it was on your TV every single day for two weeks, just like this story, because the media draws us in. The media puts it in front of us. And if they put it in front of us, we must have to talk about it. We must have to argue about it. It must have to become political. It must have to become about race. Don't blame the media, Joanne. Don't blame the media, my faithful listeners. Blame ourselves. Joanne Reed should blame herself for being biased. We should blame ourselves for being sucked into it, being sucked into the bias. I stumbled across a show the other day. It was a panel of black people discussing black issues. So I said, hey, let me check this out for a little bit, see what they're discussing here. And they were discussing things like the eviction moratorium. They were discussing things like Obamacare. They were discussing things like child care and the need to help people pay for child care. And so I wonder to myself, if this is a black panel with a big screen behind them saying, discussing black issues, why would they get mad if people think only black people take advantage of those programs? They're making people think only black people take advantage of those programs. I know white people get Obamacare. I know white people are taking advantage of the child care tax credit, but they're making people think they're black people issues. So again, we create our own bias. The media certainly helps us, but we do it to ourselves. When politicians talk about voting and laws being passed that disproportionately affect black people, what you're saying to white people is, well, I guess I shouldn't care. I guess white people shouldn't care about these voting laws that are being put in place. But of course they should, if they care about democracy. And so that's the way Democrats, liberals, should discuss voting. Not constantly saying it disproportionately affects black people, it disproportionately affects black... It's democracy. It affects everyone. So you're creating a bias that doesn't need to be created. To someone who's right-leaning, the bias is created because they're assuming, well, that Democrat is fighting so hard for that black vote because... They give things away to black people. They don't give things to me. I'm a hardworking white guy who owns a business. They don't give things to me. Of course they do. Of course they do. Democrats have all sorts of policies that could help small businesses, but they choose to talk about the things that they think will motivate their individual groups of constituents to go out and vote. And that creates bias. So that's what I could say about the case of Ms. Patino a horrible tragedy. I feel for her family, but I have no information. So why would I discuss something that I have no information on? And why would I allow the media to turn what's already a tragic story into a uh, us versus them racial political story? Why would any of us allow that to happen? But we do. We do it every day, constantly with the media. And we should stop. Now, last thing, I said I was going to discuss a couple things In reference to COVID, I'll wrap up with that. I had someone on Twitter send me some data, if that's the proper word that I can use for it, in reference to how many people he believed had died from taking the vaccine. Not died from COVID, died from taking the vaccine. He felt he had some information, some facts to share with me. And he clarified that these were indeed facts that 13,000 people in the country. Had died from taking the vaccine. The vaccine had killed them. He said he got this information from the government site that reports the numbers, the daily numbers on people who have died from taking the vaccine. Now, let me clarify this website was set up so that people could report any adverse reactions or any deaths from the COVID vaccine. There are people who have taken the vaccine and then died. Okay? There's a difference. They got vaccinated. Maybe within days or weeks, a piano fell on her head and they died. That gets reported to the site. So the 13,000 or some odd people who are reported to have died after getting the vaccine are not reported to have died from the vaccine. But let's give this gentleman his argument. Let's give him the argument that 13,000 people died from the vaccine. That certainly seems to be less than the 675,000 that have died from COVID. Given the fact that there's been billions of doses of these vaccines given around the world, I would expect that I would see higher numbers than 13,000 deaths in America, 40,000 deaths worldwide. But again, if I concede to this information and take it as true, I would have to ask for information on how this unsafe vaccine Slipped past every level of scrutiny under the Trump administration. The Trump administration would be responsible for this outrage. You know, I said it's not all Trump supporters who don't want to take the vaccine. There's a lot of people, all different people, who don't want to take the vaccine. But I need to point out it appears to be Trump supporters that have a bad memory. The vaccine was developed and pushed out hurried out under the Trump administration. So if you think there was some slacking done in approving this vaccine for emergency use, it wasn't under the Biden administration. It was under the Trump administration. Donald Trump would be the person you would have to hold responsible if there were any cutting of corners, if there was any neglecting safety regulations in the vaccine. So if the vaccine is killing people, it would have had to have been killing people in the trials. I actually found an article from back in 2006 about a vaccine, excuse me, a cholesterol drug that Pfizer was developing. And in testing, it killed people. Out of 15,000 people in the testing of this cholesterol drug, it killed 130 people. So they stopped the testing. They didn't put the drug out. They stopped the testing on the drug. They got rid of the drug. So if that didn't happen in regards to this vaccine, then the administration that was in charge during the develop of the vaccine would be responsible, would they not? But I think this administration felt the vaccine was safe to take, wasn't going to kill them. You know why I think that? Because Donald Trump took the vaccine. And let me make clear to Trump supporters or anyone else, who uses what appears to be a new talking point, I notice a lot of people are saying, I'm not anti-vax. Let me start by saying, I'm not anti-vax. I just don't want to take this vaccine. They're saying that because they've been getting hit on Facebook or from friends or from family members. What about the polio vaccine? What about the vaccine for smallpox? What about all the other vaccines and how they've Saved millions of lives. And what about vaccine mandates that already exist? So they're having a tough time with the whole vaccine thing. So they decided to start saying, I'm not anti-vax. I'm anti-this-vax. Okay. The other thing they say is, I'm healthy. I think I'm healthy. And or I've had COVID in the past. And so I have natural immunity. Well, once again, referring back to dear leader Trump. He felt the vaccine was safe. He wasn't anti this vax. He told us he was the healthiest man in America. And he also had COVID. He also had COVID. And he told us he had immunity. But he made sure he took the vaccine before he left the White House. His wife had COVID. She took the vaccine before she left the White House. Jared Kushner, a young healthy guy, took the vaccine before he left the White House. His wife, Ivanka Trump, a young, healthy girl, took the vaccine before she left the White House. Ivanka's beautiful breast took the vaccine before they left the White House. Everybody took the vaccine before they left the White House. Whether they were young and healthy, whether they had had COVID before and had natural immunity, They took the vaccine. Why do you think that is? I hate to keep talking about this in this way because, again, I don't want to lecture to people. I don't want to belittle anyone and their thoughts and feelings, but it drives you crazy when you recognize all people have to do is just apply a little bit of thought, just a little bit of thought to a situation. But thinking is hard. It's hard sometimes, harder for some people than others. But if you don't think, all you have left is your instinct. You got to go on your instinct. Well, it's pretty clear right now. A lot of people in this country can't go on their instincts. Their instincts are failing them. And they're failing them because our instinct now is to just believe what we want to believe, believe what makes us feel better, only listen to people who tell us what we want to hear. You only want to listen to media that tells you what you want to hear. You only want to listen to politicians that tell you what you want to hear. You only want to listen to friends and family that tell you what you want to hear. You'll kick them off Facebook if they tell you something you don't want to hear. Because your instinct is to always be right. To always believe it's not your fault. If things are going wrong, if things aren't making sense to you, it's not because you're wrong. It's not because you've done anything wrong. There has to be another answer. But there's not another answer. There's not another answer. The answer is simple. Your instincts are failing you. I watched a documentary this one time about these cheetahs. There were four cheetahs, three males and a female. And I was going to play clips from this documentary, but it's more of a visual thing. You probably wouldn't get a whole lot from just the audio, but picture it. There's four cheetahs, three males, one female. The female cheetah runs up the tree because she's in heat and the three males are chasing her. Well, along come two lions. This is true. It's starting to sound like a joke, but this is a true story. Along come two lions now we all know a cheetah can easily outrun a lion but the cheetahs don't leave they don't leave the people filming this documentary were amazed the cheetah the cheetahs would not leave that female up the tree because their instinct was overpowering their instinct their instinct to mate was overpowering their instinct for survival So the lions got closer and closer. The cheetahs would kind of jog away, but then they'd come right back to that female up the tree. The lions would chase them. They'd kind of jog away, but they'd come right back to the female cheetah up the tree because of their instinct to mate, overpowering their instinct for survival. And the lions killed two of those cheetahs. Two of those cheetahs died because their instincts failed them. Don't die because your instinct for survival is failing you. Don't die because you're trying to prove some sort of point to people who disagree with you. Don't die like so many conservative talk show hosts, like so many conservative politicians, like so many conservative anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers have died. Live. And I promise you, in six months or a year, we'll all have something brand new to fight about. Don't worry. If the media tells us to, we'll argue over whether water is wet. Thanks for listening. That's the show. Now you know what next week is. You know what's coming up. No. It's the end of the quarter. That's right. The end of the quarter. Time for the third quarter payoff show, which will, as always, include the quiz. How close have you been paying attention? How close? Have you been listening to the show? Have you learned anything? I certainly haven't. Maybe you have. So the next show will be the third quarter payoff show. I'll have the quiz, five or six questions about past shows to see if we're taking in any of this information, to see if any of this is helping anybody, helping you when you talk to your family, your Uncle Jed, who just doesn't get it, just doesn't want to listen Follow me on Twitter, at Comparison underscore show, at Comparison underscore show. I'm working on some YouTube things. Maybe it'll be easier for people to comment to me on YouTube. I'm trying to put something together right now to put up on YouTube, so keep an eye out for that. But I will, of course, let you know when it's available. Go to the website, www.thecomparisongroup.com, www. Dot the Comparison Group.com. And of course, find the podcast anywhere you find podcasts. Subscribe for free on Apple. Subscribe for free on iTunes. Subscribe for free on Spotify. Subscribe for free on Amazon Music. Subscribe for free on Google Podcast. Subscribe for free anywhere. Thanks for listening and truly. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for telling people about the show. You have no idea how much it means to me. I'll see you next time.